The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Ladies and gents, thank you for listening to the Keeping It Beauty show. I am your host, Akilah C. Thompson, alongside my amazing co-host, Miss Monique Cannon. I hope you all had an amazing love weekend and happy President's Day. I'm sure many of you got some retail therapy in catching those President's Day sales. If it's your first time listening to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. You can catch up on the show and listen to our archive shows on iHeartRadio.com. On our show, we aim to inspire you to elevate your dreams, your love, and your life. So what's going on, Monique? How was your weekend? It was good. It was actually a really nice change of pace. So probably not as crazy as most Valentine's Day weekends have been or usually are. But um, we had a good time. It was it was quite simple. And we took my mom out with us and the kids and um, did movies after church and after eating. So just a nice change of pace, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have to say that mine was a nice uh, change of pace as well. We actually um, went on this me time retreat that uh, this company, Great Therapy, does where um, it was this private house and it was about uh, six couples in which they have four different types of massages and like food tastings. And there was um, a yoga class and a meditation. So it was really nice too. like they took everyone's phone at the beginning. So we were like forced to unplug. And then, like, the coolest part about it was the hot tub. So, like, yesterday in New York was eight degrees. Well, at least when we woke up, <laughs> you know, Sean's phone said that it was actually right. one degree. But we, were out the, we got in the car and said it was eight degrees. And when we get there, they're like, yes, you know, the greatest part is the hot tub. And it's just like, we're thinking, okay, oh, so the hot tub must be, like, okay, in the garage, in the basement, somewhere where we're not going to have to, like, walk outside in eight-degree weather in a robe and a bathing suit. <laughs> but sure enough, it was detached <laughs> from the house. But it was like, once we got over the whole, like, run to the hot tub, it was, like, so amazing it was such a good experience so we were like actually the first couple to try it and we went out there actually a couple of times before other people were like okay there must be something out there in that hot tub that they keep jumping out there so um it was a really (laughs) really um good experience so we had a good time and also sean's brother was in town so to those listening for the first time sean's my boyfriend he's the love of my life and uh he was in his brother was in town sean's a twin so his brother was here so that was pretty cool you know doing the whole double mint thing with them all all weekend <laughs> and um you know really tripping people out like wow it's it's like it's another one like this right. is two of them 
Like, yeah, so we had a good time. We, like, went bowling with them. And what I love is that um, Sean's brother was up here because his daughter's birthday was was last week. And he wanted to come up here and take her on a date for Valentine's Day, which I thought was so sweet because I, sure. I heard um, – you know, I heard many years ago that like the I think my pastor said it, that a, a daughter should always experience her first date with her father so that she um, is clear on how a man should treat her. And I just thought that was so beautiful. He had a bunch of little things planned out for her and he got all dressed up and everything to take her on a date. So it's super, it's super cute. So shout out Quan to you for being such a great dad. Yeah, we we love those. And and daddy-daughter dates, they're fun. Uh, Jerron takes Jayla and I take Jerron. And Jerron is the love of my life, folks. Uh, But, you know, it's it's cute. And, like, last night I posted on Facebook. I'm like, can someone tell these kids that Valentine's Day is over? Because we started something two years ago of this double dating. And we take them on a date for Valentine's Day. And so, therefore, they continue to ask. And even at 8 and 10... They don't want Valentine's Day to be over. I mean, we shower them with gifts and it doesn't even, the gifts don't even matter. It's the time. Mm -hmm. And we do it all year round, but it's something about Valentine's Day that they continue to ask. And probably just because of the the hype. I mean, they see it at the store, you know, just the commercial pieces of it. And so I think it's pretty cute. And then a friend of mine, um, he took his daughter who is probably two years old it was so cute he showed her on facebook ready for her date and he gave her flowers and, i mean she's like <laughs> six foot five or something so you have this two-year-old and and dad sitting at the table and she's in her high chair and everything and so i thought that is so 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 cute and he goes you know i'm gonna make it hard for you guys out here but um i thought that was cute and then there was a campaign um Oh, gosh, I don't remember. I think it's Pantene. Um, Mm. I hope I'm not misquoting, but they had these dad do's things. So the dads were loving on their daughters and doing their daughter's hair and and talking to them. It was so cute. And, I mean, you see these guys, and one of them even talked about, or the the little girl shares that it feels like mom, but the hands are a lot bigger. And he was putting these (laughs) nails in and stuff and stuff. It was just cute. But I do think that it matters. It really does it matter. Does. All the it guys does. out there that's doing that that are doing your thing, kudos to you. Shout out to you. Yeah, shout out to all the, the amazing dads out there. So in, in, in transitioning to, to our show for this evening, I mean, tonight we're going to be talking about rewriting your story. Um, and I think it's um, just no coincidence that we started talking about um, even dads and their relationships with with their daughters and this whole love day and with Valentine's Day that, you know, many of us may not have had that growing up. And we came up with some kind of story or belief or, about ourselves as it relates to um, love and what we deserve and worthiness and being enough because of maybe the sense of aban- abandonment or something that, that happened in our childhood as related to our fathers or as our parents. So, you know, I just wanted to post to you, I mean, has there any has there been any things in your life that you needed to rewrite or interpret in a way to let it go and like have a more empowered perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think um, just even staying on the lines of dads, I mean, I'm, I've come from a single parent home, parent home. My mom and my dad, of course, divorced when I was about six. But the one thing that I would say my mom continued to do was support me. And she always said I was made out of love. And I think that that really helped me because as I speak with other 
other individuals who may have similar circumstances come from those single parent homes. Maybe there wasn't a lot of money. It was, you know, the struggle was real. Mm. Um, I had to just the stories that I heard and the statistics that I heard, I had to take that and say, okay, how do I use this as fuel? Mm. Um, how do I take this and say, okay, this is a stepping stone to get to where I want to get to. And so whether it was that or even starting out and being on uh, welfare when Jayla was born and it was just a time where she wasn't planned and, mm. um, I could have written the story that I wasn't enough and I had made this big mistake and a terrible choice and all of these things. But in my mind, she was the best blessing ever. Uh, mm. She caused us to come together in more ways than I can even count. Um, but also she showed me so many things about myself through her. And the one thing I remember always saying about my dad until the day that we um, that he passed away was, I am so appreciative of the DNA that he gave me. I wouldn't be the person that I am. I mean, the entrepreneurial spirit, all of those things come from my dad. The creativity, they come from my dad. My mom's a very strong individual, but she's just not visual the way that my dad was. <laughs> um, and he had small businesses and all of that. And, you know, and, and just a variety of things that I can see the parallels. And so I think that rewriting my story there, but then also just being a little chocolate drop, um, mm. being that dark skinned girl and having so many stories fed to me of who yeah. I am. I should be. Mm-hmm. I just said, you know what? I stand out in a room mm-hmm. and yeah. embrace that and love on that. So, you know, those aren't like long stories, but I think those right. are the tidbits that make up our stories that we have to reframe the way that we think about them and gain the perspective that we need in order to use it as fuel instead of having that actually be something that puts out our fires. Right, right, exactly. I mean, two of the things that I've learned in my transformational journey is that I author everything in my life and that I'm awesome. 100% responsible for everything, which when I first, you know, got that distinction. It was so hard to swallow because for me, um, it's like, how am I responsible for being molested as a child? Like, how how is that somehow my responsibility, uh, you know, that I'm responsible for that? But when I take an empowered view on it, I'm able to say now that, you know, I'm a mirror for mm-hmm. little girls who have been sexual, who have experienced sexual abuse. And right. I'm an example for them that you can make it, you know, that you don't have to take on the belief that you're not worthy or commit to being a victim because, you know, having that victim view won't serve you. So, you know, I'm extremely excited about tonight's show and our guests as we talk about rewriting your story because we all have a story to tell. Like our stories define us even more than our biographies, which are factual. However, Mm -hmm. our stories sometimes mingle between actual and what we choose to remember. So it's how we remember and we tell our stories that shapes our personality and and it impacts our relationships. So what determines our destiny is often sometimes the way we fashion our stories. So while it, it always is best to err on the side of truth, sometimes we're driven to reshape unhappy experiences, mm-hmm. you know, to find a smidgen of the positive in such experiences, you know, as trauma from childhood or the pain from infidelity and even the sadness of loss can be life preserving. So being able to retell our stories can, can, can shape, can reshape our lives, can actually save our lives by being able to rewrite or reinterpret our stories and having a more empowered view. So our guest tonight said, three years ago, I was lost and unsure of everything in my life, except for two things, my name and that I was going to die. 
I was merely existing, not living. I spent the majority of my life running from everything and everyone around me. I was trying to avoid the hurt and pain that was all too familiar, but found myself steeped in it. I was waiting to die. Ashley Swaggerty is the founder of Lily Mae's Kitchen and has a passion for creating joy and connection through the, the art of cooking. Everyone has a story to tell. Ashley's is a compelling tale of transformation. She uses her life experience to inspire people of all ages to discover love and accept who we are and the things that make us unique. The key to really living is not just existing, it's embracing your truth and your talents. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hi, good evening, good evening. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you and, and your story. So speaking to how you started this show in regards to fathers, that was a large part in how my story began. So I did not know my biological father until I was almost 20, 20 21 years old. And that was how the beginning of my story started, which was that I didn't matter, I didn't belong in my family, that my brother and sister, they were able to know their father, and I was just kind of thrown into this mess. And later down the road, my mother then remarried, and it was to a man that I just begged her not to marry. Mm-hmm. And so I began to create the story that I didn't matter, my voice didn't matter, and what I needed and wanted didn't matter. And Instead of finding ways to express that, I held it all in, and I became pretty much a very quiet child, Um, and then I'd explode in these, like, fits of rage, Um, and at that age, I was about eight, and so they were just fits, Mm. but I began to journal, and so it was everything that was running through my head that I wouldn't say. So I love the fact that you speak to writing your story because I've been writing mine all along and I didn't realize at some point it switched and I began to write it differently and write it in the way that I wanted my life to look. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, a large part of it was escaping who I was because I began to hate myself and everyone else around me. And So I began drinking at a very young age, and it was around 12. And it wasn't heavy drinking at the time, but it was enough to feel the effects. And it was whatever I could sip off of my grandparents' drinks or a beer that was left out too long. Um, And I knew in that moment that I really liked it. And I knew that I liked the feeling, which at that age, the only thing I knew was that I felt a little different. I liked the feeling of spinning and I liked not being fully present to everything that was going on. Um, It didn't really pick up until high school. So I must have been around 15 and I was speaking with the school counselor and I had reported some abuse that was going on. And I ended up being taken out of my home and put into foster care. And so this further added to the story that I didn't matter, that no one cared about me, that I could really disappear into thin air and it wouldn't phase a thing. And to that story, I added that I no longer needed anybody. 
that it was going to be me against the world and everyone in it, including my family. And so I knew that I wanted to move. I knew that I wanted to go anywhere other than home. And so college just seemed like the next best option. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, And so fast forwarding to that, I got a scholarship to college. And while I was there, I still felt a sense of not belonging. Um, I didn't have the money like the other kids. I didn't have like a clear vision as to why I was in school and what I wanted to do. And so I just began looking for any way to feel like I belonged, but at the same time being anyone other than who I was. And so I started branching out and trying anything, which led me to things like I was working in a strip club and I got jobs in different escorting agencies. And I was really looking for for anything that made me feel better, but I got the skill down of living a very double life. And so by this time, anything that came out of my mouth was pretty much a lie. It was catered to whoever I was talking to and whatever situation I felt like the different faces of me needed to be present for. Throughout all of this, the drinking just picked up and it lasted for quite a few years. Um, I thought I was doing a great job at hiding it and later to find out I wasn't. Um, but it, it was something that fast forwarded me to getting to where I am today. Um, so much happened during those years that I wasn't fully present for or that even if I was present, I had to put a spin on it so that it looked better than what was actually going on and really so that I wasn't found out. Like I spent all of the time hiding from not only who I was, but everyone in my life. So, I mean, just, it, just to, Ashley, not to mean to cut you off, so just to, to no. I mean, I guess specifically speak to what were you hiding from? Or what, what exactly were you trying to hide? Because you were seeing you were very much living this double life. So what what is it that you were trying to hide? Overall, I was just trying to hide me from everyone. And the decisions that I had began to make, I really felt like if people knew this, they wouldn't love me. And so it was things like, I was a stripper. No one can actually know this. Mm. If they know this, then what? And it wasn't just from my family, but it was from people that I was going to school with. And it really took me down a different path. Mm. Um, So on the outside, I had this facade of being a great student. I studied education. I was a preschool teacher. And then at night, it was that double life of dancing, escorting, and really trying to fill that void of, well, I don't need men, so I'm going to take them for everything that they've got, just to show them how much power they don't have over me. Mm-hmm. So I was and really you, hiding all of that. And where do you think that came from? Because I know you alluded earlier in saying that, you know, it started from um, not knowing your father, and then you said that your um, mother 
married a man that you didn't want her to marry. So was there anything that happened in that relationship that sent you to this place of like not wanting to fully be connected to men or have control in, in those kinds of situations? The, the break in belonging came initially from not knowing my father, but being very clear that he didn't want to know me. And then when my mom did remarry and it was to a man that, I didn't like, and I really felt like I was ignored. It further added to that belief that they matter and I don't. Mm -hmm. And then once I began being abused, it was really, for me, that was what drove it home. That So were you physically abused? Were you sexually abused? And was this by yeah. your, by your parents or was this by your stepfather? Um, it was actually by a number of people, like uncles, um, there were some other family members that on, um, whether it was like one occasion or multiple occasions that had sexually abused me. And that was when I began to really hate my body, but also truly believe that I had no value and that I wasn't wanted and that I just didn't matter. So even when I began to speak out about it, no one listened. Mm. And so I just stopped. I stopped speaking to people. I figured I didn't need to tell anyone that I had me. So when you say you tried to speak out to it, meaning you told people in your family about what was going on and they didn't believe you, is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm. I told people in my family and I had told my mom and then... The main one who did believe me was my grandmother, but she was raised in a time where it was like, oh, baby, he don't mean no harm or, you know, just stay away mm. from him. But yeah. what happens in this house stays in this house. And so okay. when I finally did begin to tell the school counselor, it was as if I had done something wrong and betrayed my family. Mm. Okay. And I think it's I think it's really interesting because when you start talking about what um what frees a person, um, just like you said, you were covering up so many things, you were finding ways to self medicate, it, it felt good because you were in control in that moment, or rather you had escaped whatever those feelings were that you didn't want to feel. Um, and I have a friend, uh, Tanette Powell, who runs an organization called The Truth Heals, and one of the things that they really focused on, um, and they they talk a lot about um, daddyless daughters, and they talk about telling your story and then letting your story go so that you can actually define your destiny instead of your story defining your destiny. And of course, there's a series of, of a process and things, and they have therapists on staff and a variety of, of help tools and resources and support. But I think that that's the first part of it is having someone listen to your story because the challenge mm -hmm. that she says is that she hears so many people say, I tried to tell my so story. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then now I, uh, you're asking me to do it again. So you're asking me to rip off the scab wounds, you know, the, the scabs off of these wounds and tell you what makes you any different. You know, at a certain point, you just have a level of distrust and that distrust mm. leads into your career. It leads into your relationships and all types of things. And so I, 
I mean, how did you navigate that path to get back onto where you weren't just living to die? It really, in all honesty, I want to say that it was accidental. So I moved to the city and when I packed up and moved, I was still just drinking. I was a blackout drunk and, um, I ended up meeting a group of people who showed me that there was a different way to do it. And at that point, I was like, I don't have anything else to lose. But Mm -hmm. a big part of that was exactly that. It was telling my story and really putting it out there and getting the support that was needed to navigate through it. But seeing that I wasn't alone and Mm -hmm. being willing to fight for something different, which wasn't always easy, but I was able to see the little changes that made it worth it. Mm. So what was your, I guess, turning point? Because I know it got to a a point where um, you moved to New York and you wanted to, like, go in a new direction. So what was your, because I know there had to be a point where you got to, like, a lowest moment, um, which you know, may have been a turning point for you. So what would you say was that moment or, you know, where maybe you hit rock bottom? My lowest moment was the summer before I moved to New York. I had been arrested for a DUI. And when I woke up, I was in jail. I wasn't sure how I got there. And Mm. I wasn't sure how I was getting out. Um, At that point, like my family didn't know the full story of what was going on. And it was my boss that came and bailed me out of jail. Um, And so I had to go through the full, like all the different court cases because I was looking at about seven years and I had just given up. I wasn't willing to fight for me anymore. And I also wasn't willing to stop drinking, um, which got me to the point of not only battling this court case, but I was on house arrest and I was drunk and cooking and a pressure cooker blew up in my face. And Mm. so not only was there this mess, but I was then in the hospital and doctors, even they were surprised at the fact that I didn't die. Um, There were way too many reasons as to why I should have. And, And so in that moment, I knew that something needed to change. I just wasn't sure what. And I wasn't sure how I knew that it wasn't going to be done in Colorado. And I didn't know how to get from point A to point B. Um, It took a few months and then I packed up and I moved and um, I managed Mm. to get sober right after I moved to the city. And from there it, it took off, but it wasn't without a lot of work. (laughs) Right. So how did you begin to, I guess, rewrite your story? Because I, I know in, in moving to New York and, I mean, you have experienced um, some things that, you know, we would hope no one would ever have to experience. And you've experienced several different things. And your story is just so inspiring and in that in spite of it all, you know, you are still standing, you know, and that you are still climbing um, and that you are even a stand for other people um, their recovery and their transformation. So, I mean, how, 
um, have you really begin to, to rewrite your story and kind of, I guess, put things in perspective and what do you suggest, I guess, to other people, um, who may have gotten to maybe not the same point, but a point in their life where they were, they're waiting to die and want to know how, how, how to turn things around. It started with me making the choice to be completely honest and whether it was me liking what I've seen or on days where I knew I just wanted to hide, to stand in that choice of being honest and not only with me, but with someone else and slowly began to let other people see me, the good, the bad, the mistakes, all the lies, and began to clear that up. And once I was being 100% honest and not hiding behind this facade and taking the time to learn who I was, learn who I wanted to be, and learn even the simple things of what I enjoyed, it opened up so many doors of being authentic, being vulnerable, and really connecting with other people because I had cut off so many connections and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much of my own life that that was hindering. And I began to work through that process and I had to choose it daily. And Mm -hmm. there were some days that I didn't want to. And once I began to choose it, it made it a lot easier to live it. And Mm -hmm. I remember having this moment, maybe a year into sobriety, where I looked up and I'm actually living. I'm not just existing. I'm not just here going through the motions, but I'm living and it feels Mm. good. And from that, it was like, well, how do I want to continue to live and show up in this world so that I can influence other people and so that I might be able to use my experiences so maybe someone doesn't have to make it to that point. Mm. And I began to focus out Mm. and the second year of focusing out, it was, it was very hard, but there were some days where it definitely kept me from going backwards because we can get caught in our stories and feel like it's all about us. And I'm the queen of throwing a pity party. Mm-hmm. But when I focus out mm-hmm. and I see that there's, there's a purpose for it that's bigger than me, and if I'm not focusing on myself, where does this energy go? And where can it be used? Mm. So was getting into cooking, was that a part of you focusing out? Like is there is is cooking somewhat therapeutic for you? It was therapeutic, but it was focusing out. Um, In the beginning, it was me finding what I enjoyed and finding the why of why I enjoyed it. And I loved cooking and I studied education in school. But even bigger than that, the safe place for me was always my grandmother's kitchen. And so I wanted to be able to recreate that for children. Mm. Give them a safe place where they can express themselves, where we can have a conversation and not have it be us against them or an elevated state. Mm -hmm. Where it's like we can just come together, we can create something, and this is a safe space. You can be you. And we can talk about anything while learning new skills, while expressing ourselves in a creative way and just having fun doing so. And um, once I put those two together, 
it brought me so much joy because I was able to see the joy that it was bringing mm. the children that I was working with. Mm. How important has getting to this space of being able to tell your story, um, do you think been like instrumental to like your healing, the healing process of really being able to move forward? And how did you get to that place? Cause I remember you speaking earlier and saying how, you know, you were, you know, kind of living this, this double life and, and covering up, you know, what was really going on to now get to this point where you're very comfortable in telling the story and being able to remove, you know, the judgment that you may have had um, or thought other people might have in, in being able to know the, the truth of like really what was going on with you. So, you know, how did you really get to that point, of, that place of being able to tell the story? And I guess how, how, how do you say that's impacting like your healing process? You said exactly that. I had to remove the judgment. <laughs> okay. And once I removed the judgment, not only of myself, but judging others, like it was so judgmental. And there are still days where it is where I can create a conversation about what they're going to think of me. And so I don't do something. Um, but mm. once I put it out there, it was like, now we can love you because we know where you are. Mm. And uh. it really, I was no longer able to create or collect this evidence that I was unlovable because people knew me, they saw me, they have been with me, and they still love me. Mm. And I really had to face yes. that, like, well, what now? You're out of excuses. So... Yeah. Continue to share it. It speaks to that. Because the it more speaks that to that power of vulnerability. Absolutely. Okay. It does. Definitely speaks to um, just, uh, you know, people see vulnerability as such as weakness. And um, your story is such an example of how um, vulnerability is so powerful and how, you know, you allowing yourself to share with people freely is not only liberating you, but allowing other people to be liberated and, and knowing that, you know, wow, I can relate to her. Oh, you know, wow, there have been some things that have happened to me that um, may have happened to other people. And in sharing my story, how it's not only allowing me to heal, but really allowing other people to, to do the same. So um, that's that's really beautiful. And I really commend you for doing that because I know now you're doing a lot of work with speaking and sharing your story with assisting people with recovery, right? Yes. Yes. I guess in, you know, in our, in our finding, cause we were, we're coming to the end of it, it went so fast. Um, <laughs> in, in speaking to people, I guess about recovery, I mean, what are the things that you typically share, um, for those that, um, may be dealing with, with some kind of addiction and they don't know how to start that process of recovery? Um, I typically start out with sharing, as open and honestly as I can about what it was like. Mm. And then I let them know like what it was like in between, what that gray area was like where you're faced with a situation. All you want to do is drink or use and really explaining the tools that it takes to fight those urges and how to create a support system around you. Because just like anything else, it takes a village and no day is going to be as easy as it might look when you're watching someone else. So don't compare. 
no one mm. else's journey is going to look like yours. Yours, yeah. But we can relate to the experiences enough to support one another mm. and to just hang in there with everything you've got because it's always going to be better like than any day was using. So what's next for you, Ashley? <laughs> what's, what's your next? what's next? Yeah. Oh, I love what's next. <laughs> what's next is I am going to complete an, another children's cookbook. And this one really focuses on family favorites, um, <laughs> which brings okay. me so much joy. So how yeah. do our listeners find you? Because uh, I know you do classes. I know you also are available to speak. So how, just so that people that are listening that maybe want to hear more of your story for an audience that hey, they have, how can they find you? Um, they can find me on my website, which is lilymayskitchen.com. Okay. And then they can also follow me on Facebook or Instagram. And are you Ashley Swaggerty in both places? Um, yes. Okay. And on Instagram, okay. it's Lily Mae's Kitchen. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, I do have okay. one one quick question. I know we have to wrap up. Um, do you feel that you would have found this passion, like Lily Mae's Kitchen? Do you feel like you would have found that passion if you hadn't have had the journey that you um, have walked down? Absolutely not. No. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know enough about myself to stop belittling the gifts that I had. I always wrote it off as I'm domestic. I can cook. I can clean. This is dumb. It's not a real job. And once I removed the judgment, it was like, this is something I'm passionate about. And this is something that will allow me to give back to future generations. And it's something that brings me joy, but I never would have allowed myself to feel that joy because Mm -hmm. I would have been judging it all along. Right. Love it. Love it. Definitely. One of the things that we're going to give you at the end of the show and in, in doing some of our background research for the show for today and looking at psychology today, there were some secrets to rewriting your story. So as we, you know, we and Monique were talking on the front end of the show about different things that have happened in our life, maybe toxic experiences, whether there may, may have been some abuse, maybe there have been some addiction, maybe there have been past loves or hurts or pains or things that have happened in your life that you are holding on to or have created beliefs about yourself as a result of those experiences. So I came across secrets to rewriting your story. Um, and the first one was, was actually to review. So to review your actual growing up story or the stories of these past loves without like any embellishments, like looking at the story truly as it is and express gratitude for the tough times um, because you made it. Like a lot of times we look back at experiences from a very victim standpoint and without being able to take a step back and really think about and having gratitude for the fact that, you know what, I made it through that. I know I've had many experiences in my past where if I looked at everything that was negative about it, I wouldn't have been able to move forward. So being able to kind of let go of those experiences by actually having some gratitude for the fact that there, I know there have been some things and I'm sure those that are listening can relate to the fact that there have probably been times in your life in which things that you went through, other people didn't make it through. You know, I know last year I almost lost my brother in a, in a car accident. My brother was hit by a car and right next to my brother's room was a lady who got hit by a bicycle. 
Like she, those of you that are in New York are familiar with like the city bikes and like that's become now big in New York that people are riding bicycles. And, you know, this lady was hit by, she was standing in the bike lane and was hit by a bicycle and her and my brother were right next to each other, both having, you know, some damage to their brain and she didn't make it. So, you know, in, in being able to, to walk away from that situation, you know, for him and having gratitude for like life, like, you know, yes, I can, you know, choose to be upset of, you know, the circumstance and what happened. And, you know, there was so much that happened in that experience, but the fact to know that like, wow, you made it through and having gratitude for that and knowing that there may be, uh, may have been other people in similar situations or the same situation that like didn't. Well, thank you so much. Ashley, for coming on the show. Uh, To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Visit us on keepingitbeauty.com and visit our Girl Talk section. Send us your questions and topic suggestions, or if you want to be a guest on our show, you can hit us up at keepingitbeauty at gmail. To find out all our happenings, we have a lot going on with I Am Beauty, so you can go to iambeautyinc.com and follow us on Instagram, as well as like our Facebook page. Um... And remember, so we're back to our three secrets to rewriting this story. So we started with review your actual story, you know, express gratitude for the, the tough times and be able to celebrate the fact that you made it through. Retell your story to yourself as a victim. So, for example, you can't find love because of your father. Think about if you retell the story without blaming someone else for your behavior, will you have a story to tell? So really think about that. If you had to retell the story without blaming someone else, would you still have a story to tell? And rewrite your story from a different perspective. We always remember a story a little differently than the way it originally happened. So why not remember your story in a way that empowers you? So thank you again, Ashley. Thank you so much again, Monique for being such an amazing (laughs) co-host to those that are listening. You can join us again next week. Same place, same time. And please remember to tell a friend. So good night, everyone, and be beauty. Beauty.